0: Welcome to Knox Bedtime Stories, episode number 41. I'm your friend Joey, here with another episode to help you relax, feel safe, and fall asleep. It's about 10pm here, and I hope you all had a wonderful day and are doing your best to take care of your mental health. If your day or week hasn't been great, we'll get through it together. If this is your first time here, welcome to the Knox family. I hope I'm able to bring you some calm, comfort, and a good night's sleep. From here on out, nothing exists except you, me, this beautiful fireplace, and the bed, couch, or floor you're laying on. Tonight, I'm going to read a few of my favorite quotes from Marcus Aurelius to you which are not only good advice but may help put you at ease over a problem you're having then i'll read our main story from edgar Allan poe called the island of the Fay," in which an unnamed narrator wanders in solitude and comes across an island that is inhabited by fairies the imagery at the end of the story is beautiful The fairy queen moving through life is lovely symbolism too. It's one of his more obscure stories. Poe isn't exactly known for talking about islands with fairies. I would like to give a big thank you to Leah Patterson for becoming our newest Patreon patron. Thank you so much for your generosity. If you enjoy the podcast, it helps you relax, feel safe, and fall asleep. Please consider becoming a patron for as little as a dollar a month. Every bit helps. I have until July to figure out if the podcast is viable, considering the costs and the hours put into it. I'm also looking for three more thumbs up so I can rename the Facebook page. You can both become a patron and give the Facebook page a thumbs up at knoxbedtimestories.com by clicking on the Join Patreon link, or clicking the Facebook icon and giving the page a thumbs up. Please keep giving the show 5-star reviews on iTunes and subscribing. We're getting close to 255-star reviews, which is awesome, and are also over 55,000 downloads. This basically means we're helping many people at bedtime, and that's awesome. To my patrons, I owe you two episodes of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, and they'll both be up in a few days. I apologize for the lateness. Okay, so, when you get into bed, say to yourself, My bedroom is a place of peace and relaxation. When I enter this room and crawl into bed at night, today's thoughts naturally begin to soften. My burden lightens, and sleep is coming. I wanted to read you all a few quotes before our bedtime story. These are from one of my favorite philosophers, Marcus Aurelius. If you don't know who he was, he was a Roman emperor and philosopher, and considered to be one of the greatest of all the Roman emperors. When you arise in the morning... Think of what a precious privilege it is to be alive, to breathe, to think, to enjoy, to love. Live a good life. If there are gods and they are just, then they will not care how devout you have been, but will welcome you based on the virtues you have lived by. If there are gods but unjust, then you should not want to worship them. If there are no gods then you will be gone, but will have lived a noble life that will live on in the memories of your loved ones. You have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this, and you will find strength. If you are distressed by anything external, the pain is not due to the thing itself, but to your estimate of it, and this you have the power to revoke at any moment. The things you think about determine the quality of your mind. Your soul takes on the color of your thoughts. Don't be ashamed to need help. Like a soldier storming a wall, you have a mission to accomplish. And if you have been wounded and you need a comrade to pull you up, so what? All of those quotes give pretty good advice. Trust me, he was a pretty smart guy. Alright, let's get to tonight's bedtime story, The Island of the Fae, by Edgar Allan Poe. Set to sleep-inducing music and this beautiful fireplace. If you're not already laying down, please do so now in whatever way is comfortable. And let's begin. The Island of the Fae, by Edgar Allan Poe. No room is affected without the talent Servius. La musique, says Mormontel, and those Contes Moreau, which, in all our translations, we have insisted upon calling moral tales, as if in mockery of their spirit. Music is the only talent that enjoys itself. Everyone else wants witnesses. He here confounds the pleasure derivable from sweet sounds with the capacity for creating them. No more than any other talent is that for music susceptible of complete enjoyment, where there is no second party to appreciate its exercise, and it is only in common with other talents that it produces effects which may be fully enjoyed in solitude. The idea which the raconteur has either failed to entertain clearly or has sacrificed in its expression to his national love of point is doubtless the very tenable one that the higher order of music is the most thoroughly estimated when we are exclusively alone. The proposition in this form will be admitted at once by those who love the lyre for its own sake and for its spiritual uses. But there is one pleasure still within the reach of fallen mortality, and perhaps only one, which owes even more than does music to the accessory sentiment of seclusion. I mean the happiness experienced in the contemplation of natural scenery, In truth, the man who would behold all right the glory of God upon earth must in solitude behold that glory, to me at least, the presence, not of human life only, but of life in any other form than that of the green things which grow upon the soil are voiceless, is a stain upon the landscape is at war with the genius of the scene. I love indeed to regard the dark valleys and the grey rocks, and the waters that silently smile, and the forests that sigh in uneasy slumbers, and the proud watchful mountains that look down upon all. I love to regard these as themselves, but the colossal members of one vast animate and sentient whole, a whole whose form, that of the fear, is the most perfect and most inclusive of all, whose path is among associate planets, whose meek handmaiden is the moon, whose mediate sovereign is the sun, whose life is eternity, whose thought is that of a god, whose enjoyment is knowledge whose destinies are lost in immensity, whose cognizance of ourselves is akin with our own cognizance of the animaculae which infest the brain, a being which we, in consequence, regard as purely inanimate and material in the same manner as these animaculae must thus regard us. Our telescopes and our mathematical investigations assure us on every hand, notwithstanding the cant of the more ignorant of the priesthood, that space, and therefore that bulk, is an important consideration in the eyes of the Almighty. The cycles in which the stars move are the most best adapted for the evolution of without collision of the greatest possible number of bodies. The forms of those bodies are accurately such as, within a given surface, to include the greatest possible amount of matter, while the surfaces themselves are so disposed as to accommodate a denser population than could be accommodated on the same surfaces otherwise arranged nor is it any argument against the bulk being an object with God, that space itself is infinite, for there may be an infinity of matter to fill it. And since we see clearly that the endowment of matter with vitality is a principle, indeed, as far as our judgments extend, the leading principle in the operations of deity, it is scarcely logical to imagine it confined to the regions of the minute where we daily trace it and not extending to those of the August as we find cycle within cycle without end yet all revolving around one far distant center which is the Godhead may we not analogically suppose in the same manner life within life the less within the greater, and all within the spirit divine. In short, we are madly erring, through self-esteem in believing man in either his temporal or future destinies, to be of more moment in the universe than that vast clod of the valley, which he tills and contends and to which he denies a soul for no more profound reason than that he does not behold it in operation. These fancies, such as these, have always given to my meditations among the mountains and the forests, by the rivers and the oceans, a tinge of what the everyday world would not fail to term fantastic. My wanderings amid such scenes have been many, and far-searching and often solitary, and the interest with which I have strayed through many a dim deep valley, or gazed into the reflected heaven of many a bright lake, has been an interest greatly deepened by the thought that I have strayed and gazed alone. What flippant Frenchman was it who said in allusion to the well-known work of Zimmerman that loneliness is a beautiful thing but do you need someone to tell you that loneliness is a beautiful thing the epigram cannot be gainsaid but the necessity is a thing that does not exist it was during one of my lonely journeyings amid a far-distant region of mountain locked within mountain, and sad rivers and melancholy tarn, writhing or sleeping within all, that I chanced upon a certain rivulet and island. I came upon them suddenly in the leafy June, and threw myself upon the turf, beneath the branches of an unknown, odorous shrub, that I might doze as I contemplated the scene. I felt that thus only should I look upon it. Such was the character of phantasm which it wore. On all sides, save to the west, where the sun was about sinking, arose the verdant walls of the forest. The little river which turned sharply in its course, and was thus immediately lost to sight, seemed to have no exit from its prison, but to be absorbed by the deep green foliage of the trees to the east, while in the opposite quarter, so it appeared to me as I lay at length and glanced upward, there poured down noiselessly and continuously into the valley, a rich golden and crimson waterfall from the sunset fountains of the sky, About midway in the vista which my dreamy vision took in, one small circular island, profusely verdure, reposed upon the bosom of the stream, so blended bank and shadow, there that each seemed pendulous in the air, so mirror-like was the glassy water, that it was scarcely possible to say that Point upon the slope of that emerald turf, its crystal dominion began. My position enabled me to include in a single view both the eastern and western extremities of the islet, and I observed a singularly marked difference in their aspects. The latter was all one radiant harem of garden beauties, It glowed and blushed beneath the eyes of the slant sunlight, and fairly laughed with flowers. The grass was short, springy, sweet-scented, and asphodel interspersed. The trees were lithe, mirthful, erect, bright, slender, and graceful, of eastern figure and foliage, with bark smooth, glossy, and party-colored, There seemed a deep sense of life and joy about all, and although no airs blew from the heavens, yet everything had motion through the gentle sweepings to and fro of innumerable butterflies that might have been mistaken for tulips with wings. The other, or eastern end of the aisle, was whelmed in the blackest shade, A somber yet beautiful and peaceful gloom here pervaded all things. The trees were dark in color and mournful in form, and attitude, wreathing themselves into sad, solemn, and spectral shapes that conveyed ideas of mortal sorrow and untimely death. The grass wore the deep tint of the cypress, and the heads of its blades hung droopingly, and hither and thither among in there many small unsightly hillocks, low and narrow and not very long, that had the aspect of graves but were not, although over and all about them the rue and the rosemary clambered. The shade of the trees fell heavily upon the water, and seemed to bury itself therein, impregnating the depths of the element with darkness. I fancied that each shadow, as the sun descended lower and lower, separated itself sullenly from the trunk that gave it birth, and thus became absorbed by the stream, while other shadows issued momently from the trees. "'taking the place of their predecessors thus entombed. "'This idea, having once seized upon my fancy, "'greatly excited it, "'and I lost myself forthwith in reverie. "'If ever island were enchanted,' said I to myself, "'this is it. "'This is the haunt of few gentle fays "'who remain from the wreck of the race. "'Are these green tombs theirs?' Or do they yield up their sweet lives as mankind yield up their own? In dying, do they not rather waste away mournfully, rendering unto God, little by little, their existence? As these trees render up the shadow after shadow, exhausting their substance unto dissolution, what the wasting tree is to the water that imbibes its shade, "'Growing thus blacker by what it preys upon, "'May not the life of the Fae be the death which engulfs it? "'As I thus mused with half-shut eyes, "'while the sun sank rapidly to rest, "'and eddying currents careered round and round the island, "'bearing upon their bosom large dazzling white flakes "'of the bark of the sycamore flakes.' Which, in their multiform positions upon the water, a quick imagination might have converted into anything it pleased. While I thus mused, it appeared to me that the form of one of those very fays about whom I had been pondering made its way slowly into the darkness from out the light at the western end of the island. She stood erect in a singularly fragile canoe, and urged it with the mere phantom of an oar. While, within the influence of the lingering sunbeams, her attitude seemed indicative of joy, but sorrow deformed it as she passed within the shade. Slowly she glided along, and at length rounded the islet and re-entered the region of light the revolution which has just been made by the fae continued i amusingly is the cycle of the brief year of her life she has floated through her winter and through her summer she is a year nearer unto death for i did not fail to see that as she came into the shade her shadow fell from her and was swallowed up in the dark water, making its blackness more black. And again, the boat appeared in the fay, but about the attitude of the latter, there was more of care and uncertainty and less of elastic joy. She floated again from out the light and into the gloom, which deepened momently and again her shadow fell from her into the ebony water, and became absorbed into the blackness. And again and again she made the circuit of the island, while the sun rushed down to his slumbers, and at each issuing into the light, there was more sorrow about her person, while it grew feebler and far fainter and more indistinct and at each passage into the gloom, there fell from her a darker shade, which became whelmed in a shadow more black. But at length, when the sun had utterly departed, the fay, now the mere ghost of her former self, went disconsolately with her boat into the region of the ebony flood, and that she issued thence at all I cannot say. for darkness fell over, and things, and I beheld her magical figure no more. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoy the podcast and it helps you sleep and brightens your day, please consider becoming a patron of the show for as little as a dollar a month at knoxbedtimestories.com and click on the Patreon link or patreon.com forward slash noxbedtimestories. There are various rewards, and it ensures that the show will be here every Monday for a long time to come. I wish you all a good night's sleep and a happy peaceful life. Good night.